I'm back for the second episode of D&D Prep, a journal experience. Talking a lot about getting started in my game is a, a good representation of most things that I try to get into that I start is how do I do a thing that doesn't have an audience that might not maintain the audience, and in this case, players? How do I create something? I don't mind building stuff for building's sake. I don't mind practice, uh, doing things that aren't going to get used for anything else to be able to just improve, just learn a small skill here or there. I think that's all useful. But it is challenging whenever I'm beginning to think about building a world is how do I build stuff for a world that might not exist the way I think it's going to. So what I decided was that I was going to build the sort of framework and the bones of an entire world that the players could operate in the campaign within uh, that world would be mine. It would be things that I would create and with the choices they made within their character creation help to sort of flesh out an initial space because I've actually been pretty proud of this. As I've been building the world, it has just existed as a liquid. Um, initially, it was just a gaseous, oh, that's an idea. And then I had to start writing things down and thinking about it in a real way. It became a liquid. As a player decided, I want to be an Eladrin elf. Okay, well, I knew the fantasy world was going to have the main fantasy races, um, species. Still not 100% sure exactly where I should land on that, and I misname it even beyond my own personal thoughts. But once I know that a Ladron elf is going to be in, where does the Ladron fit? Well, they're a bit more of a fae wildy uh, elf source. Okay, well, that's obviously coming from a different plane. So now my world needs to for sure have at least one other plane. Now, it was going to always have sort of the main culprits. But as I was building, it became relevant to focus on those places that had things in them. Uh, change that state to a solid. Now, it was always a little marshy, a little squishy. So as I got close to coming up with a concept for, okay, so I have this world, it's basically the Feywild, and she's a creature that exists within there. So as I build that, it goes from there. Let's go back to the material plane. Okay, so how known... Are, are people of these things. So what I've sort of ended up coming to 
a landing place with is this world is new in a lot of senses. I have three primary planes in addition to the material plane. And there is lore behind where anything else is, might have been, or might will be. But there is the Feywild, the Hells, and the uh, Night Place. I can't even think about it right now, but I renamed them all. Part of that came from the OGL controversy. I had this weird sort of weird meta argument with myself where I didn't have a thought that I wanted to like market this place. But what if I did? And so I went through a bit of a concerning period of, oh, what can I leave as the same name so I really started adjusting names and so I renamed several things they're pretty similar and they use portions of names that are still in they share across the world but one of the things that I've sort of used is it helps me provide a lot of shorthand for the players the players when they hear Fey something think of Feywild think of uh Magical, mischievous, conniving, lush, uh, anything that pops into their head helps populate that for me. Um, and the individuals and the sort of actions that are taking place within this place are mine. And they're based on, obviously, all of the content that I've consumed in movies and books and other shows, DVD, that goes back into it. But I renamed the Feywild into the Fey Shells. Um, Fey felt good just to leave that as the same. And a lot of my naming is definitely, does this thing look cool on a page as it's written out? You can have a okay sort of spoken thing, but all the fantasy and there's all already like a strange naming convention. Now, I will fully note that a tremendous amount of the naming does come from a basis in reality. Um, and then of course, there are naming conventions that are based in uh, cultural. So, you know, a lot of your elves have similar names. A... Um, Glorfindel, um, or think about Lord of the Rings. You have Eowyn, Eomar, Theoden. Uh, you have all these names that sort of based in there. And obviously, a lot of the classic Faerun naming conventions coming from that. So mine is less um, exacting. If I ever was to write this in a book, I would definitely go there. But as I go from building this world building out things as I go to fill in the gaps of where people actually need stuff. It builds on itself. And as I build those things, I come across questions. I'm always questioning myself. 
how can this work? Now, that answer can be a pretty fantastical and uh, stretching way. I don't, it's A, it's a game. It's a fantasy game. It's a fantasy world. And I have a full-time job. So, like, that stretching connection is obviously going to be needed in a lot of spaces. And all the players are all that I have are ex- excellent at understanding what they are doing. They're into the world, and they're playing a game. So, if I can't, or as I'm thinking about that why... It comes into a, oh wait, this can actually connect over here. That could connect over there. An idea from a character backstory. Oh, okay, you want to do this? Here's a way we can do this. The Eladrin elf was going to interact with the tiefling. They were going to know each other. It's like, okay, how do we get to know each other? Okay, so the tiefling is this created amalgamation some sort of entity ripped the soul of a demon out of the hells I call it infernal plateau and put it in a drow body and that formed tiefling and that power surge think Avengers when rockets oh I see where these gloves have activated again powerful entities throughout reality are like wait a minute holy crap if they can just do that how do we to protect ourselves so titania the leader within the fae shells begins to send investigators one of those is kaylin this eladrin elf and then that as a part of their backstory is why they're together she comes up with them the tieflings, I don't know what's happening. I don't know where I came from. And Kaylin's like, yeah, let's, let's figure this out. Let's work through this. That's why they had known each other for a short bit of time. And then my introduction to the whole players about them all getting kidnapped. They were kidnapped together. And they had a bit of connection going into that very first session. So as I'm building these characters... It's important for me to, or building their space within the world, is not just build what I need to, but build, I think, as like sort of a visual, like a lightning bolt. Um, They are that charged particle in the cloud, and it arcs off it has a point on the ground that is i need the name of your hometown i needed the name of the town that they had met each other newham but along that way there is an arcing path that jaggeds and comes back and i need to place points along those jagged edges um this random town for a lot of the world and it doesn't need to be done right at that moment but that is information that needs to exist at some point and 
without getting too overwhelmed, it's probably better to be aware of ahead of time. Now, as a new DM, I always gave myself the out of being like, hey guys, uh, might retcon some names as we go through this. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. So as we're going through, I create these other points of interest, which do give me additional charged particles to lightning bolt off of in a different direction. Okay, so that's town. Okay, I need a town kind of nearby. Oh, I need another town nearby that. Okay, this faction's going to have, you know, a chunk of town, so it needs this. So you're building out um, all of these other points. To the extent of once it's been recorded and sort of marked down in a remembered concept, as the players are interacting with anything else, and they're like, what do I know about this? I'm generating a ton of that information on the fly improv. But I have enough of these small points where I'm really only having to connect dots or enough dots in my own brain to get to the point where I can feel comfortable with the amount of information I'm giving them. Even if a high roll, obviously I have to keep some things do, but I give enough of a, a start of information to make sure that they're satisfied with the question and the role they asked for. And then, you know, enough threads to pull on going forward to keep things going. Now, I will say I probably provide a tremendous amount of threads that pull on and slow things down. There's been many, many points through the campaign that they've had their sort of primary mission but they've honestly had 20 or 30 other directions to go in. So doing that in, in some aspects gives me, okay, well, I have these 20 or 30 things I need to sort of like mark into. But as they're traveling along these things, I do need to have a basic sense of the sort of spatial connectivity of all of these places. Okay, so you're now you're entering into a faction's borders that are going to produce a slightly adjusted expectation of the NPCs and the environment. And it, it, it it's popcorn. You have, okay, I have a general setting that I want to get into. That is, I want woods. I mean, it was a pretty fleshed out idea from the first moment. But if I really had to mark it down, I want woods. I talked about this in the first episode. I want woods. How do I get woods? All right. Well, are there towns super nearby? It's like, well, I don't really want towns super nearby. Okay. Well, it's a new continent. They're exploring a totally new place. Mystery and bound. I mean, it's perfect for that. Okay. So you're building onto that. Or how, why are they even over there? At level one, why are these level one players interacting in this totally new dangerous space? They were taken there. Why were they taken there? MacGuffin. MacGuffin. And then from there, you have sort of a through point that you can always sort of reference back in because even if it's a level one threat that 
first threat is going to be a memorable one. It's going to sort of carry through to a decent extent, especially if the stakes within it keep rising. So as you're doing that, and then you have your four different characters that each have their own backstory, it's like, okay, how do I connect to that? Oh, okay, this one's a cleric. Okay, well, I definitely need a pantheon that exists. Am I using the Faerun? Well, no, I don't really like that idea. Okay, well, what if these gods move around? And I come to the sort of conclusion that, okay, the allegory of God being a representation of these sort of abstract concepts, love, um, these things that aren't physical, God is that manifestation of that. Or it's the word that we use to describe all of those things. Okay, well, maybe all this magic is similar. These gods are, are mostly, they're lenses that is magic in its raw form just obliterates. But through a lens, it's focused, potentially diluted, um, filtered, so that your average cleric or very powerful cleric doesn't just get vaporized whenever they call upon their magic. Okay. So now, so now we have a pantheon. All right, what are some of the concerns that this pantheon could have? How can I interact? How can I have them interact with the world? Okay, so you build these things, build that thing. And we're barely in the campaign, and I have bones of a fairly complex world. I have multiple factions to help describe where stuff goes. So you're getting into a point of why, 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 why? And I I like the idea of having separations in these factions. A, it gives you home turfs for the players to sort of gravitate towards. And gives me backstory to have. Gives me interactions to play off of. Um, gives me a crutch and a way out. Why is X conflict happening? Well, there's competition for resources and power between these two factions. That first snowflake that rolls down the hill into a snowball into a you know avalanche what's that initiation why are they not always at war maybe they're still a little gun shy from the reason why they had to leave the old continent. But now they're getting stuff settled and they're starting to reach back out again. So they're sending people and resources back across the sea to sort of re-explore the same space that they came from. You need some new land. Oh, 
why do they need land? Uh, can't they just expand on their other continent? Well, there's a barrier, magical and geographical barrier. Why is that barrier there? Well, there's a civilization that, in my case, fled from the old society faster. Uh, the rich got onto their fast boats and they managed to get across much quicker and arrive and colonize and basically erect a door up behind them and say, no more, we got here first, you deal with the scraps. So the rest of them do in fact do that. And their own ideas of why the disaster had happened, well, that helps to determine the difference of the factions. You have Frontera, which is my sort of northern Viking faction. They felt like when the old society fell, hey, we were one giant metropolis. Like, it was dirty, it was urban. No one really had space to be able to grow and be their own, connect with nature. We need to do that. This area is wide open. Let's limit ourselves. Let's spread out. We can hunt. We can farm. We can do things to keep ourselves fed as long as we don't congregate too big. So they form up to the north of a mountain range. You have the group that felt, oh, well, we didn't listen to the gods. We fell apart and weren't connected to them the way that we needed to do. So we need to reform up around very specifically the religious pantheon. So we'll form this republic. Come up with the idea of a theocratic republic. The pantheon gods each have a representative in a congress. So your various towns dot around and have a local chapter of your sun god. And then they basically go to like a big caucus and send a representative to hold within their God's sort of like mindset. But also, hey, do we need to raise tariffs? Things like that. So you have this republic, Gebthyak Republic. And then you have this other space to the south along a coast, a group of coastal cities that have sort of become an alliance in a way, mutually beneficial destruction in a sense. They were like, well, we were crushed beneath the boot of the oligarchy and, and the existing hierarchy of society. We actually have a fresh start. Let's take advantage of that and become our own business people, make our own money, create our power based on our own merits instead of just who we happen to be born to. And they create sort of an entrepreneurial society. Now, obviously, the ones that take advantage of that the most, either through unscrupulous means or otherwise, are going to go to the top. And that's where a little bit of the stretching comes in. It's like, okay, well, in a capitalist society, in a, in a real world, those people are going to strangle everything out and you're no longer going to have that free market. These people, or at least who they were, recognized that we need to be a different space. You know, 
the good thing about it is they seem to have, for the most part, allowed a free market to exist for somebody to arrive. Like, I hate the Republic. I'm going to move out to the coast. Come in. I'm going to start a fishing business. They can do that. Now, if they get successful, they might get bought out. But there's enough competition to keep things flowing around a little bit. And most people are able to either work for somebody else if they don't have a great idea on their own. But in a lot of ways, it's the sort of naive, best-case scenario for America that probably can't exist, almost certainly doesn't, and probably never did. But that's where that land is. So they are, I think in a way, good guys. But when it comes to resources and gaining money and financial means, you're going to have a significant amount of people who are greedy. And you go from there. So all of this time, I need woods. I need places for my characters to exist. And I need to change this liquid, this sort of amorphous, muck and solidify portions but as those portions go they are points for the lightning to bounce off of which then it becomes charged and it bounces off elsewhere and it just builds like a spider web very quickly um but along these paths there's like a moment of where the electricity went through and sort of solidified a small path but it's liquid all the way around there as i continue to build that will be built in around it, but it's been important to sort of allow the natural progression of building where it needs to be built while also allowing myself to dream past that and place sort of farther milestones that stay murky. But thank you for listening, myself, and anybody else that finds this interesting. I'll be back next week and continue talking about thought process. And as these episodes go, I will hopefully get a little more uh, directed and really kind of focus in on some very specific ideas that I'm trying to work my way through instead of these sort of broader concepts. But until that becomes a needed thing, the moment the broader concepts are nice for me to hear out loud and to hear on the recordings, so I can come back to them and sort of, as I'm building, to keep the momentum in the same direction. So thank you.